relationship, but we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. And part of how we do that each week is when we gather, we just try to open up God's Word and have His story impact and inform our story. And so uh, hopefully uh, on your way in, if you don't have one already, uh, you grabbed um, a, a discipleship guide for our sermon series that we're in right now. It's called Thrive, Flourishing, and Faithfulness. It's on the book of First Thessalonians. We also have a scripture journal for you. That's First and Second Thessalonians in there. And so um, you can turn there. We're going to be in First Thessalonians chapter uh, 4, verses 13 through 18 today. And, and, and as we get there, um, uh, you know, we, we brought you in with donuts today, but it's a bait and switch because this Sunday is donuts and death. That's what we're covering. Uh, and so um, we are going to be talking about some challenging things today in these verses. But uh, even as we talk about something like death, uh, this is a very hope-filled sermon. Uh, there's just a, a lot of good uh, truth here around how we as Christians and we as individuals can process death and grief and loss. And so Paul, writing to this church in Thessalonica that he helped plant, he wants to help correct some of their theology. Well, what they believe about the afterlife and what they believe about death and what they believe about Jesus is off just a little bit. It's off just enough, in fact, that as uh, they have suffered losses, they're fearful and concerned that death is the end, that there's no more life after that, that there's no more hope after that. And so uh, as we come in this morning, I just want you to ask yourself, like, like uh, what do you think about when you think about death? And maybe like, hey, again, I just came in for the donuts. Like, I don't want to think about death. I think part of why we don't want to think about death is we're just ill-equipped to, to talk about it. We're ill-equipped and we're fearful to think about our own mortality. So we avoid things like funerals, right? We don't like to go to hospitals. Uh, we don't want to deal with death and loss. And so um, what happens is if we're going to navigate a world that is broken, a world that has hostility, a world that has sin, then we're going to have to deal with death. And so Paul wants this church and, he, and the Bible and God wants our church to be able to flourish, to be able to thrive, even in dealing with a topic as difficult as death itself. Because honestly, I, I can't think of anything more hostile than death itself. Yes, we might live in a hostile culture that, you know, doesn't want to talk about Jesus often or if it does, wants to do some weird version uh, of him. And so, um, but when you think about death, like, like where do you find hope? Where do you find comfort? Where do you find solace? Because what you believe about what happens after we die will impact how we live today. And so maybe you're kind of like a, like a karma person, uh, right? And, and you're just like, hey, um, you know, I, I love all the different uh, philosophies that could uh, talk about what happens in the afterlife. And so maybe you're all in on reincarnation because you're like, man, when I see that majestic eagle flying over the lake, I know that would be me if I reincarnated. When the reality is, if we think about our lives, we probably reincarnate as like a naked mole rat, Right? <laughs> Like, you're not an eagle. I'm not, I'm not an eagle, right? I might be like a two-toed sloth, right? And not like a cute one, just like an ugly one, right? 
And so we're like, no, no, but if, but if I really live my life well, then, then I can progressively like, like get to be a better animal. Okay, that's interesting. Um, but you're like, well, no, no, I believe in reincarnation that in a future life or in a past life, I was this, that, or the other. And so we, we get all these delusions of grandeur that like, hey, if I just live a good life, then, then, then maybe when I reincarnate, it'll be as the Sultan of Brunei or, or it'll be as like some major pop star, tech mogul or something like that. And it's like, well, you know, like you're probably going to be another middle class version of, of yourself, you know, if that's the way it works out. There's not hope there. It's just living out a whole other life of struggle and difficulty and, and challenge. And maybe you're like, okay, well, that's, that's weird. I'm not like a weird spiritualist. No, I'm, uh, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, we just all go into become ghosty ghosts and, and like just like hang out in like some spiritual nirvana. You're like, no, no, you're way, way more like naturalistic. You're way more progressive. You're way more intelligent than the rest of us weirdo spiritual people. And so you're, you're, you're just naturalistic. So you're like, I know what happens when I die. I go into the ground, and I become dirt. And at best, that dirt becomes a tree. Yay! Like, you're a tree. Congratulations. Like, you know, somebody's going to carve their name in, their, in your sides. You know, a, once a year, people will look at you and be like, nice colors, right? And then if you're really lucky, you're a hickory tree, and somebody chops you down, and they, and they use it to make pellets to smoke brisket, Right? I don't know, heaven for somebody, but if you're the, the brisket pellets, that sounds like hell, right? Fire, okay. All right, we don't want to laugh about death. I get it, I get it, okay. So what's happening here is that we actually do have a soul. Like, and we recognize that we have a soul, and we, we know that something has to happen to our soul after we die. And so, um, you know, if you're somebody who's just totally atheistic, you're like, no, no, I'm just going to pursue as much pleasure as I can, eat, drink, for tomorrow I die. And, and that is not going to lead you to be more altruistic. It's going to lead you to more and more selfishness, particularly as your life goes on and, and the, the, the time in that hourglass gets smaller and smaller. And so Paul wants to give us some hope in life and in death. And so here we are, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'm going to start with verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. And so, okay, here's what's happening. Like us, the Thessalonians were incredibly ignorant around the idea of death. And so um, that's part of why we don't like to talk about it, right? It's unknown, it's intimidating, it's frightening. And so even for followers of Jesus, we like to just kind of go with the blanket like, well, I'm sure they're all in a better place now. And it's like, well, maybe there's a couple places you can go. Not all are better. And so in this case, the church of Thessalonica, they had heard the gospel in its fullness. They had heard about Jesus Christ that we just sang about. Jesus Christ's death, resurrection, and return. And, and so in their mind, when they hear Jesus returning, they're like, I'm pretty sure that's next Tuesday. And then next Tuesday happened. And, and they're like, well, now what? Because now we're several years removed from Jesus' death and resurrection. He hasn't come back yet. We, we've had people die. We've had, like, just last week we talked about how the church was like a family, like the bonds that we have as Christians, like, run deep through the bloodline of Jesus Christ. And so we call one another brothers and sisters, and we're sons and daughters, and, and now they, they've died. 
Well, now what? what? What about them? Like Jesus hasn't come back yet. Is there hope for them? And so these verses help enlighten ignorance for the purpose of giving greater hope. Paul's saying, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant of what is true. And so he refers to those who have fallen asleep. And before you get all kind of wacko um, spiritual and you're like, so does that mean like I just go into a spiritual coma for a couple millennia and then Jesus comes back? No, fallen asleep is a euphemism for death. It's not laying out a doctrine of soul sleep like some, you know, different denominations might talk about. But if we are clear, because Paul lays it out, that to be absent from your body is to be present with the Father. Jesus Christ on the cross, when there's a thief who's, who places his faith and trust in Jesus, he says, Jesus, remember me when you go into your kingdom. Jesus doesn't tell him, okay, you are gonna die and have soul sleep for a couple thousand years, and then I'm gonna come back and I'll wake you up, and then it will be. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. So this is a euphemism for death. And so, what he's doing is he's reminding us that bad theology leads to unhealthy responses. Meaning when you believe wrongly about God and the world and, and, and God's word and spirituality and all those different things, like it leads you to difficult and bad responses. And so not knowing what is true about life and death and God uh, allows, if you don't know the truth, it allows what is untrue to have greater influence in your life. An outsourced influence. And so what happens is even as we claim to be Christians, we start to function like atheists. We start to, to function in how we process life and death like an unbeliever, like a pagan would. And so like, we, we have to go back to God's character, that God is good. The, and, and we start to believe things like, no, no, he's not good. God doesn't save. Uh, and so our, our grief and loss gets exacerbated because death isn't something that is uh, part of passing on into new life with Christ. Death is just devastation. And so he says, hey, I don't, I don't want you to grieve like those with no hope. Here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, don't grieve. Oh, yeah, you, you, had, you had some family member pass away? Oh, you've got cancer and death is looming? Put a smile on your face. We're Christians. We're shining, happy people. No, he says, I don't want you to grieve like those who have no hope. He's like, process grief. Like, visit grief. Engage with grief. In fact, like, as Christians, we should be acquainted with grief. We should be people who are comforting those who are suffering with grief. In fact, Jesus, our Savior and King, is called what? A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. That's who we have in Jesus as, as a comforter and as a king. We know that this is in Jesus' character because um, when Jesus' good friend Lazarus died and was dead and buried for a couple of days, he walks into this, this long-lasting uh, um, Jewish wake that is going on and everybody's sobbing and everybody's brokenhearted because their, their, their brother, their friend Lazarus had died and Jesus doesn't go, what are y'all doing? I'm gonna raise him from the dead, you dum-dums. He's like, no, no, what, what does it say Jesus did? If you know your Bible, it says he wept. He entered into their present grief even though he was about to do a miracle. Even though resurrection was about to happen. Because God cares about your grief. Jesus cares about your grief and your pain. 
And so this church in Thessalonica, they were loving one another well. They were this gospel community. They were brothers and sisters. And as their members are dying, some possibly even by persecution, they're starting to, to, to wonder with concern and grief, like, what's going to happen? I thought Jesus was coming back, and it's been longer than expected. And, and what about those who've died as Christians? Are they, are they suffering judgment and wrath? Are they... Are they are they in some transitional soul sleep? Like, like when Jesus returns, is, are they disadvantaged? Like, I mean, don't, we should want to be there when Jesus comes back. And they're, they're dead. They're, they're gone. Do they miss their chance to be with Jesus? And so this church had theological ignorance. And because of their theological ignorance, they were ill-equipped to handle grief, hostility, and the reality of death in a broken world without succumbing to hopelessness. And so they had some idea about life after death, but they just didn't have the great clarity. And so, so grief began to dominate. Are we ever going to see these people again? Are we ever going, like, like, are they lost? And so these verses are supposed to be a comfort. Mourn, grieve, weep in the appropriate times, right? But not like those who have no true hope. Well, wait, wait, why do you say true hope? I say true hope because, because you're like, well, hold up. I, I'm an educated, pluralistic person. Like, like I, I mean, yeah, you're talking about hope in Jesus, but I know that there's lots of other religions that give hope in death. And, 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 and I could say, yeah, there are other religions. There are other paths that will tell you there's hope in death. And, and they'll even tell you what that looks like or what maybe your, your afterlife looks like. And so if, if you, um, you know, interact with like your Mormon friends or, or maybe a couple, couple uh, you know, like 19-year-old elders come to your door, right? Like, like, like they have a version of what the afterlife is. And if you play your cards right and you do the right things and, and don't do the wrong things, th then you, men, get to have your own planet. What, what am I going to do on that planet? Well, congratulations, you get to be a god. And you're going to have a whole bunch of women on the planet with you. And for eternity, you will make spiritual children. And, and, like, and like all the single guys are like, I guess I'll sign up for this. Like, I mean, because they don't know any better. They're like, man, you can't handle one wife, let alone like a thousand more, right? And they're like, and by the way, your whole eternity is raising kids? That's a lot of diapers, right? That's a, that's a, lot, of, that's a lot. It's just a lot, okay? So, but it, it's a version of hope. And you're like, no, no, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not like them. Like, no, no, I, like, I mean, I can't believe we're, we're back here because I thought that, we, you know, terrorism was something that, that you know, we, that we supposedly dealt with, you know, 20, 30 years ago. But here we are now in 2023, and there are still crazy, insane, evil, demonic men, like, like going and terrorizing innocent people. And part of why they're doing that is an ideology that tells them if they die in service to Allah, killing infidels, that they will be given 72 virgins for eternity. Again, there's a version of hope. But they do not deliver. Because our society might be pluralistic, but our God isn't. He says in Jesus, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What Paul's telling this church in Thessalonica that was in just as pluralistic a society as we are, 
To not have no hope like the atheists and the pagans and to not think that all of these crazy, wacky things happen. He's saying, root your hope in the truth of Jesus Christ. That he's, he's reinforcing the exclusivity of faith in Jesus for abundant life now and eternal life forever. And so he's trying to reset their perspectives about what a good life is. I mean, those things I just described to you as rewards, like those are seen as valuable because we've lost a vision for how amazing heaven is. Because we think heaven is boring. Because we think God is lame. When we forget that the Bible says that there's a new heavens and new earth, a new creation that outshadows, that overshadows the creation that we love and enjoy today. And so what our hope is in heaven is yes, to enjoy that new creation, but also to be in perfect relationship with that creator who made us. That we are actually going to be in, in like reintegrated communion with the God who made us. And so we settle for these counterfeits, like congratulations, you're a tree and you're helping with climate stuff, instead of thinking, no, you are reunited with the creator who knows everything about you, who made you, who made you with purpose, who made you with value and dignity and worth. And because of sin you've been separated from in that new heavens and new earth, you are reunited for eternity. And you have relationships with one another that are no longer impacted by sin and brokenness. Anybody on a weird text thread where you're like, oh, I mean, we're friends kind of, but not really anymore. And you're just like, oh man, then their name comes back up and you're like, oh man, them. Or, or like, you know, you, you, you have relationships with people and then you only see them online now. And you're like, like oh, it's just weird. Or, you know, I, I mentioned that Thanksgiving's coming up and you're like, oh, I really hope so-and-so doesn't come. Don't worry, they're hoping you don't come too, right? But in the new heavens and new earth, like that's, that's not the way things are. Our relationships with one another are no longer soiled by sin. And so Paul, in resetting this, saying, I don't want you to be ignorant, I want you to have hope. He wants to reset them on what is true and right about the gospel, and that's what he does in these next couple verses. 14 and 15. Okay. 13 was, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who've fallen asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. Verse 14, why don't we have to grieve like that? For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who've fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Okay, what's, what's going on here? What is amazing is that as Paul talks about like having hope in life and death, he actually didn't do what I just did and just talk about heaven being awesome. He says, let's go back to the truth of the gospel. Like, 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 like let's go back to what is clear and right about gospel truth so their ignorance can be addressed. What's lacking in their faith, he says, can be filled. So if wrong theology leads to hopelessness, then good theology should lead us to encouragement and to comfort. The knowledge of God leads to hope in God when we see that he's provided all that we need. And it starts with this. Number one, it says Jesus died. 
That if you're a Christian, you believe that Jesus' death has significant meaning. It's what we call the atonement. It's, it's how Jesus absorbed the wrath that we all deserve for our sin. That Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for our sin. That because of your rejection of God, because of your missing the mark with God, because of sin that you've done, because of sin that has been done to you, we are all separated from God. And in order to, to, to bridge that gap, in order to pay that debt that we all for sin, that Jesus lived this perfect life that none of us have lived. And he died the death that we deserve. And so this answers for us the question, like, like why do we die in the first place? Like as Christians, we shouldn't say things like death is just part of life. Because that's not true. Because death is not natural. Because how God created the world did not include death. He created the world for us to be in communion with him and one another for eternity. And what has caused death is sin entering the world. Rejection and rebellion of God. That God in some regards in his mercy and grace does not allow us to walk in sin for eternity with no consequences. He also doesn't allow us to live for eternity without redemption and renewal. And so sin has infected and affected every aspect of life ever since our rejection of God. And like, I don't, I don't feel like that's something we need to de debate much. Like guys, guys, the news the last several weeks, the last several years, should have shown us enough that like, like humanity we're not like naturally amazing. No, when left to our own devices, when, when divorced from God, when divorced from his truth, we don't become uh, like, like greater humans, we become more beastly towards one another, more selfish and inward focused with ourselves. And all of that leads to death. The reason that there are things like earthquakes and volcanoes is because of sin in the world. The reason there are stray cells like cancer and viruses is because of sin. The, re the reason that there's murder and all sorts of other things like that is because of sin. That our bodies that were built for eternity because of sin decay and die. It's not natural. It's the most unnatural thing that happens because it is the consequence for sin. And so God is the author of life. When we are separated from him in sin, we will eventually die. Our bodies are fragile and dependent. And maybe you're young and strong and thinking, no, no, I'm, I'm good. Wait till you hit 40, okay? Every day, a new pain, right? Like, I, I've, I've taught on death multiple times in my ministry the last 10 years, and I'll just tell you, <laughs> 10 years in, I'm just like, when it sucks about the body falling apart, I just feel it more and more than I did when I got started. And so, we, when we declare our independence from God, sin and death is the only logical consequence. And that might sound unloving, that might sound ungracious. Why would God uh, allow death to happen? Well, if we forget about Jesus, it is. But in Jesus, we see a God who has pursued us a God who took on flesh. Like when we celebrate uh, Christmas here in, in a few weeks, we are celebrating God showing up in the scene and saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be embodied with you. 
I'm going to walk among you. I'm going to live with you. I'm going to understand your suffering and your pain. I'm going to be tempted in every way that you and I are, except he's not going to sin, does not sin, is sinless. And so God is not just just. Oh, he is. But he's gracious and he's merciful. Because despite our sin, while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us, for me, for you so that you and I don't have to suffer the eternal consequences for our sin when our faith and trust is in Jesus. So Jesus' death in our place is, is what we call good news. It, it's good news and it provides hope because we don't have to suffer the consequences for our sin. We get mercy and grace. But, but there's, there's more than that. Because yes, we believe Jesus died for us and his death is significant for us. But we also, if you're a Christian, we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. We believe that Jesus is not dead. We believe that Jesus is alive. We do believe that Jesus died. He was buried three days, risen from the tomb. And, and, and in that, that, that he rose again. And, and if, like, that is not the entirety of the Christian gospel, but it is an essential component of it. If you take away resurrected Jesus, you no longer have what we call the Christian gospel. You can call yourself whatever you want, but you can't call yourself a Christian. Because Christians' faith and hope is in the resurrection of Jesus. Paul says if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we are fools to be pitied and we have no hope in the universe. Jesus resurrected is our hope. And part of why Jesus resurrected is our hope is because Jesus dying for you is good news. Jesus rising for you is great news. Because it shows that God is able to both pay for our sin and he purchased us new life. It also shows that he is the one who has defeated death. Because Jesus' tomb is empty, when we face death, we can have hope that our tomb will be empty too. That because he rose, death is not the end for you and me. It is transitioning from one part of life in this sinful, broken world into life with eternity with Jesus forever. So then we don't, gr we grieve because death has happened. It's a loss. We want those people with us and we see them suffer. That's painful and that's awful and we don't want to see it be so. And we have hope because Jesus rose. Because Jesus saves is the third one. The same God that didn't let Jesus remain entombed in death is the same God that can save us when we have faith in him. When you've placed the fate of your life and soul in Jesus' death for sin, that's been nailed to the cross. Your sin's been nailed to the cross. Resurrection is there for you in hope. It's the hope for all Christians across all times. And so he says the living will not precede those who have died. He's saying actually there's no advantage in either life or death on whether you're gonna get to be with Jesus because we're all going to be saved with our faith in Christ. And so for Christians, we don't say farewell to one another in death. We say, see you later. And yes, parting is such sweet sorrow. But we have the hope of resurrection and reunion. And so I just want to tell you, like, practically speaking for Christians, this should be a motivator for us for evangelism. That Jesus does save that eternity apart from Jesus is wrath and judgment. But we believe in a God who's merciful and gracious. And so we, we proclaim, we share 
the hope that we have in us that is in Jesus to those who we love, those who we know. If you love people, you should want them to know and love Jesus. We preach hope in Jesus because we do believe that the stakes are actually high, that eternity does actually hang in the balance. And so because Jesus has resurrected, we can have hope in this life and the life to come. All right, next verses. This is where things get a little, little saucy. If you know your Bibles, you know these next verses have a, a verse that talks about the rapture. And, and if you grew up in the 90s, uh, and I said something like the rapture already, um, like, you know, your spider senses are tingling and you're looking around to see if it happened. He's like, half the seats are empty. Are they all gone? Are we the baddies? Um, right? You know, like, do we, do we make it? Like, okay, we're gonna talk about what these verses actually mean. And hopefully you'll get to see that in the context of these verses, that it's actually about hope and comfort and not about what happens in the end times. Here we go. Verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up, that word is rapture in, in the Greek, will be, will be caught up, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. And so there's something in us that wants to know, how, how long are we gonna have to deal with this cycle of life and death? That yes, there's birth, and, and yes, there's, there's exciting milestones, and there's marriages, and there's, there's joy, and there's relationships, but also there is suffering, and there is pain, and there is grief, and there is loss, and there's war, and economic challenges, and all political things going on, right? Like, when is it gonna end? And that's where the Thessalonian church was at, too. They're in, a, again, a very pluralistic world, and they're just like, could Jesus just come back tomorrow? Or actually, now would be great. In fact, if, he could, if this guy up here could just finish his sermon, Jesus could just show up, and we could be done with all this. I've already had a donut, I've had coffee, and an extra hour of sleep. This seems like a really good time for Jesus to come back, right? And, and that's where they're at, right? And, 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 hey, speculating about these things is, is you know, it's a great hobby, right? But, but what, what he's wanting us to do is be reminded about where our comfort and hope comes from. And the verses that we look at next week, we'll, we'll have a little more fun with the end times and, and kind of talk about some of those deals. Uh, and, and, but what he's doing here is he wants us to know that Jesus coming back is the greatest hope of the world. That rest and restoration is coming in these verses for the purposes of hope. And so, um, I've got kind of four key ideas I see in these verses. Um, the, the, the subject heading for, for each of these is, is from John Stott's commentary. The guy's a British theologian, super, super uh, intelligent, and because he's British, he has a much better command of the English language than I do. Uh, and so the subject headings are his, the content's mine, just for, for a full disclosure. Okay, number one. There's four things that are happening in these verses. Number one, return that Jesus will return, that Jesus is, he, he bears our sin, he's the giver of eternal life, and the promise that we have in Jesus is that he will return. 
Like, like, th- like that's how the, the, the story ends in the Bible, that he will come back to, to fully consummate his, his rule and reign, that, 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 that death will be defeated in, in such a way that, that it's no longer even something that we're having to, to fear or deal with. And so you get these, these awesome phrases like a cry of a command, voice of an archangel, trumpet blast. Well, okay, that just sounds really intense, and it's because it is. These are all military Military terminology, it's pointing to Jesus' return being the final victory over sin and death. That when he comes back with a word, game over, Jesus wins. God's in charge. Satan, sin, death, no more. And so the Lord physically returns. And the point of this, like, cry of the command, voice of an archangel, trumpet blast, is it will be an overwhelming announcement of total and complete victory. It, it, will, it will be something so universal that not a single person on this planet could deny that it was happening. And so we, we can have hope that these, these grand, like, moment of Jesus' return, you don't need to speculate, like, like, okay, did it happen already? Is Jesus, like, hiding out in Turkey right now? Like, we just don't know. Like, like should, I, should I look at the news? Like, maybe, maybe MSNBC. Well, if MSNBC, they wouldn't cover Jesus returning. And then Fox News would get it wrong. Uh, okay? And so, like, you, you, like, let's not do those. No, this is going to be so overwhelming that everyone in the world will know Jesus is back. And so it's an important idea for us to remember because it helps us understand and process the trajectory of history Because, man, that gets co-opted so often in in our progressive worldview. You want to be on the right side of history, don't you? Go along with whatever saying right now. I don't want to be on the wrong side of history. That sounds horrible. Well, no, we need to remember the trajectory of history is the return of Jesus Christ. Kingdom of eternal righteousness, holiness, mercy, grace, and justice. That that, you want to be on the right side of history, be on the right side of Jesus. And so, have hope. Live your life. Seek the welfare of your family, of your community, of your job, your school, your church, right? Seek the welfare of this country, yes, right? But always remember that this is not the new heavens and new earth. Jesus is on the throne and Jesus will return. And so this is, this is a day we should long for. And so it's not something we need to wor- be worried. If you're, if you're a Christian, you don't need to be worried you're going to be left behind on these days. No, you're going to be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. You're going to be in the presence of the King. And when that trumpet blasts, the last battle's over, God stands, and, and like I said, sin and death are defeated forever. And so death is like a schoolyard bully that nobody else in the school could do anything about. And they lived in fear. And finally, a big kid transferred in who's really nice and awesome. And he comes in and he takes out that bully. And the rest of the school doesn't have to worry about it anymore. That's what happens in the return of Jesus. He returns with strength. He returns with victory. And that leads us to number two. Okay, Jesus returns and there's also the resurrection. The same God who resurrected Jesus resurrects the dead. The dead in Christ, it says, will rise first. Those that died and rose um, 
they will die and they will rise. And so the return of Jesus, it talks about this procession of resurrected people. It, it, it was... It was like when you knew a victorious military ruler was going to be coming back into town. People would literally leave the town to go out with the general, with the army, so they could be part of that procession as it came in to the town to announce that victory had happened. And so what he's saying is, hey, those who've already died, they'll be resurrected. They'll be, they're going to be part of this procession coming in. So when people are worried, like, hey, my aunt and uncle who are Christians, they just died. Like, are they in the back of the line now because they're, they're not here when Jesus comes back? He's like, no, no, they're getting raised, and they're part of the, the, the royal procession, the victory procession coming in. And so for Christians, when they've died in Christ, they rest in him. There's, they, we get to actually have glorious resurrected bodies like if you want to read more about that, you can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it just talks about how, you know, when we are resurrected, like we just have bodies that don't decay, bodies that don't suffer, bodies that don't have pain. And so in, in, as Christians, we can grieve the loss. But you can have hope that, that your loved ones in Christ are resurrected. They're not coming back as like creepy zombie people. They're going to look better than you do. And so that, that's the hope that we have in the resurrection. And then number three, here's the word you've all been waiting for. Rapture. Okay, it's a fun word. It's a scary word. Again, if you grew up in, in the church, I'll just kind of out my wife for a quick second. She told me about this that in, in high school, middle school, and she'd come home or both her parents were working, and so the house was empty. And, and, and most days, most days she was wondering, was that the rapture? You know, like did mom and dad, are they just... Phew, you know, carried up in the cloud with Jesus. And, and, and like in the 90s and 2000s, you had a bunch of like, like really sensationalistic books about being left behind. That the good people, they're gone, you know, and, and all the baddies get to stick around. And, and apparently all the good people are airline pilots because all the planes crash into the ground right away when the rapture happens. And even now, if, if you drive around and, you know, not as much anymore, but you can maybe see a bumper sticker or a license plate cover that says, you know, in event of rapture, this car will be empty. Really, Carl? Like, you're, you're, really, you're sure? You're sure the car is going to be empty? I don't know, man. I, you know, check that browser history. Okay, anyway. Okay, let's talk about what the word actually means. The word does mean caught up. It's, it's, it means seized, caught up, and it's the same way they would talk about death catching you. And what he's saying here is when Jesus comes back and Jesus returns, you don't need to be worried about death catching you because like, you don't have to look over your shoulder worried about death catching you because Jesus isn't gonna, you're not gonna be caught up in death. You're gonna be caught up together with Jesus. And so it's not a violent, sudden kidnapping, right? In, in verse 15, he talks about those who are still left. In verse 17, those who are seized up together with Jesus, resurrected people. So what he's talking about is when Jesus comes back, you're going to be seized up with him. You don't have to worry about death catching you. You're going to know that you're held by Jesus, the context of these verses is not sensationalistic teaching about the end times. The context is giving comfort and hope to Christians who are concerned about death and grief and loss. And he's saying you don't have to worry about death catching you. That you're gonna, and be like, well, hold up, hold up. 
I believe the Bible literally. Hey, I, I believe the Bible literally too. But we've already had apocalyptic language in here. And so when it says, well, it says he's going to be seized up. We're going to be caught up in the air. In, in the clouds, it says. So we all have this vision, like, like this very literalistic vision that like we will literally like rise up off the ground and, and we'll be up in the clouds and everybody will see us. We'll be like, ha ha, you didn't make it. I knew you weren't on the team, right? It doesn't go that way. The, the, the terminology is, again, apocalyptic in nature in literature. So it is poetic. And that caught up in the clouds, like when God is present throughout the Bible, it's in the clouds. And so it's saying, you are going to have that seized up, that caught up. You're going to be brought into a royal meeting with the king of the universe. That's what's happening. That's the meeting that's happening in the air. That when Jesus returns, you are in the presence of God in a way you, you and I have never experienced before. And so again, it's for comfort. It's for hope. And so yes, we believe the scripture is true and right and reliable. And we also need to know what genre we're reading. We do not need to fear verses like this. Because this, it gives so much hope to us that, that Jesus returns, that we will be resurrected, and that rapture is that, that royal meeting with God where you're reunited with him forever. That's number four. Last word, reunion. We get so focused on the when of the end times, of the, uh, of the what and, and the, uh, excuse me, the how and the timing and all that stuff. And certainly, you know, anytime there's a conflict in the Middle East and something's going on in Israel, all, all of our eschatological spider senses start tingling and, and we start wondering, is this, is this now? Well, here's what I, what I can tell you. We are one day closer to Jesus' return than we were yesterday. We are a decade closer than we were a decade ago. And we're a lifetime closer than when you began your life. Beyond that, Jesus says, no one knows the time or the place or when that's happening. And so the hope we're, we're given is not the like, okay, can you just make it three more years? Can you just make it through one more election cycle? Can you just make it till those kids graduate? Can you just make it until, until you need to retire? Will your retirement make it just until you can finally check out of this place? No. The purpose of it again, is to give us hope and to be reminded of what's happening. We're not given a hope for the when, we're given a hope for the what. And the what is the separation that you and I feel with God, the inadequacies we feel in our own identity, the sin and shame that we bear because of what's been done to us or what we've done to others, all of the sin that separates us from other people, the sin that separates us from God, that all of that is going to be over and you're going to be reunited with the God who made you. Verse 17 says, we will always be with the Lord. Are you kidding me? The creator of the universe, the author of life, the king of kings, that's who we're going to be hanging out with for eternity. The grand event, the meeting in the clouds, that royal Procession is not a short visit for a season. It's the first day of our eternity with God. 
The hope for the dead is that God will bring them to this day for the living that will be caught up with God at that moment. So the dead in Christ and living Christians, we're gonna be together with God always. And the purpose of these verses is for this last verse right here as we close. Verse 18. What's the point of all this? How are we supposed to apply this? He doesn't say, therefore, debate about the rapture and make sensationalistic movies about the end times starring Nicolas Cage. No, no, he says this, verse 18. This is what these verses are here for. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. The whole purpose of this section is so that we're not ignorant. We can know what's true about God. We can know it in here. We can know it up here. And so when our friends or we are going through grief or pain or loss, we can be there to offer hope. We can be there to weep with them. And we can be there to bear grief and grieve with them, not like those with no hope. And so that we can encourage one another to, to evangelize. We can encourage one another to endure. That no matter how bad it gets, the trajectory of history is Jesus' return. And so these words are an encouragement to the grieving. They're, they're, they equip us. Because I, we feel so ill-equipped to deal with these things like death, things like loss. We don't know what to say. And so he's saying, just, just encourage people. Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus saves. Jesus is returning, we'll be resurrected. We'll be caught up with him, raptured with him, and we'll be reunited with him forever. And so in life and in death, we have a very real, present, and eternal hope when we simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.